Hi, I'm Julia Golding. Welcome to my podcast, What Would Jane Do? Where we seek an early 19th century perspective on issues in modern life in the company of one of the world's favourite authors, Jane Austen. First of all, perhaps I should explain a little bit about my interest in this area. Uh, I first came across Jane Austen reading as a teenager, loved the stories. Uh, And then, of course, we had the 1990s with the wonderful adaptations on the BBC, like the famous uh, Pride and Prejudice. No one's forgotten that. Colin Firth, we love you. But anyway, um, I also, a little bit later on, took a doctorate in that period. And Jane Austen, though she didn't actually form the centre of my doctorate, uh, I kept going back to her and thoroughly enjoyed the chance to read her. And then life took another turn and I became an author. And where I started was writing about a character called Cat Royal. And the first book of that series is called The Diamond of Drury Lane. And in fact, the music you heard at the beginning is Cat Royal's music because she's going to get her own stage musical. Watch this space. Anyway, so thanks very much, Jamie Reed, for letting me borrow your music for my podcast. But why is Cat related to Jane Austen? Well, I was looking for a contemporary voice that I could use in an adventure story for younger readers. And I got fascinated by the Jane Austen of the juvenile works. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to read these. They're books like Love and Friendship, spelled uh, E-I rather than I-E. And then there's other books about the the history of uh, the kings and queen of England, all sorts of things. But anyway, they're really anarchic, really funny. They just poke fun at everybody and everything. And I love that voice. And it made me reassess what I thought I knew about Jane Austen. So she's been a bit of an obsession ever since. And I found myself going back to her as a writer again and again. But I also find her strangely like a friend set up set in the past, someone I can go to and consult. Uh, I think many people feel this, and many of her fans. She seems so um, sensible, so perceptive, I think, is really what's at the heart of it. And when I feel a bit adrift in modern life, it's sometimes nice to go back to her and find out what she might have to say on dilemmas that we are facing. And that's where this idea for this podcast came from, what would Jane do? I'm going to go and ask her, what would she do faced with what we are facing now? And I'd look really forward to hearing your feedback and your ideas for themes that we might want to tackle. Today, I'm going to start with the big one of them all, which is social media. Because that seems to have invaded almost every aspect of my life and possibly yours over the last 10 years or so. I was laughing the other day because I got one of those notices from Facebook telling me to celebrate 10 years friendship. And the person who I was celebrating it with was my brother. Uh, it just mean that we managed to share each other's pages or what, you know, uh, become friends on Facebook 10 years ago. But th- that gave me a sense of when the whole shift came. Um, before that, if you can, you know, cast your mind back 
to the two, early 2000s, it was really largely email and websites, wasn't it? Uh, and then it sort of shifted onto these platforms. I don't know which one you're using today, uh, Instagram, Twitter, a pin interest. Uh, no doubt there'll be something else coming along tomorrow, which I haven't thought of. Uh, I probably have defunct accounts all over the place. You know, I started using Tumblr, but I've moved away from that. I believe I also had a MySpace account at one point. Hands up if you have one of them. Anyway, I thought that this whole kind of social media thing and the way it's invaded our lives and we don't really know how to handle it would be a really interesting thing to bring Jane Austen's wisdom to bear. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, of course, she didn't know anything about it. So what on earth could she have to say? Well, I think she has quite a lot to say because, in a way, her own world, because there was a relatively small community, really, that she moved within, it had its own way of doing its social media. And this is what I would call their extreme sport of letter writing. Now, you, if you're a reader of Jane Austen novels, you will probably notice the number of times letters are the key thing that happens to shift the uh, plot along. Uh, perhaps one of my favourite is the letter that Anne Elliot receives from Cap- Captain Wentworth at the end, where he is writing the letter in the room where she's sitting, basically asking, well, declaring his love. What could be more romantic than that? But so Jane Austen absolutely knew that letters were a key form of communication. So instead of thinking social media, let's think letters. Now, letters in those days were probably even faster than ours. I'm looking at a letter that Jane Austen wrote to her sister Cassandra, her main uh, confidant. I've just picked one at random. This is from the 9th of January, 1801. She is at Steventon, her home, and Cassandra is away. And the funny thing I like about this is the letter actually starts in almost breathless, picking up on the last one. So there's a sense of an ongoing communication, like they're exchanging comments on a Facebook wall. My dear Cassandra, the perhaps with which my last letter, being only a perhaps, will not occasion you being overpowered with surprise, I dare say, if you should receive this before Tuesday, which, unless circumstances are very perverse, will be the case. So she had said in the previous letter, perhaps I may not write again before Sunday, but she can't resist because Cassandra's her best mate, and so she's writing again almost instantly. So if you've got a best mate that you're responding to, uh, that is just like Jane and her sister. Anyway, I'm looking at the contents of her letter and it's hilarious. Um, It's full of name dropping of local people. Uh, She is not shy about being a bit uh, rude about people. So she's talking about um, how people were dressed at the most recent gathering. She says, Mrs. Powlett was at once expensively and nakedly dressed. We had the satisfaction of estimating her lace and her muslin. And she said too little to afford us much other amusement. Oh, what a burn she is now dishing out there to poor old Mrs. Powlett. Uh, So you can just imagine someone wafting around in one of those rather too exposing uh, muslin dresses at the time, who is only of any interest to everybody to look at. 
because of what she's wearing, not because of what she has to say. Now, I will leave it to your imagination to fill in the name of any celebrity that you might be following on Instagram or wherever, where actually you're not that much interested in what they have to say, but in what they wear or who they're with. That is the kind of thing that's going on. So there is a kind of social media, a very swift exchange. It gets even faster, of course, in um, Victorian times when the penny post is introduced. And in fact, uh, in our family, we've got um, postcards from family members. uh, So we're talking much later, sort of early 20th century, where someone would write from their office, you know, dear Beryl or whoever, uh, I'll be home by this afternoon. So you could post something in the morning and there were so many deliveries, it would get there before you got home. So you could tell them the time you'd arrive home. Now, I don't know what your post is like in your area, but mine is nothing like that. And that speed is something much more familiar from social media. But I think also, clearly, you're saying, well, a letter is private. So it's more like uh, WhatsApp. You know, it's not going to be seen by everybody. But that postcard is open. <laughs> the postman probably knows you. So it is it is quite similar in a way. And then the other thing when you're looking back at Jane Austen to think about is that these letters were often written with the mind to them being read out to the whole family. So they're not really private. There is this public aspect to them. So that I think that us thinking that social media is something we only have to deal with if we use a bit of imagination, we can see that it's not entirely new and that um, their people have been very social and they have used their media at all times. I think what there is, the big difference though, is the issue of personal private space for reflection. And that's where I'm going to go next. Of course, one of the times when social media shows its ugly side is when people find one little thing that they've done in the past comes back to haunt them. Uh, And obviously this has led to some terrible stories of people actually ending up committing suicide about it. And you would think that this was a new phenomenon of how um, one small error becomes the thing which blights you for the rest of your life but actually when you look at Jane Austen you see that because of the smallness of the society she lived in that actually very much the same kind of thing would happen and I'm sure you all know the uh, the famous faux pas that Lydia takes it's not really a faux pas it's a huge moral indiscretion in the terms of her day but running off with Wickham the elopement Um, The importance of that is it's not just a Lydia disaster, it's a disaster for the entire family. And if you've seen any of the um, drama versions of this, they have to spell it out for a modern audience that Lydia running off means that the rest of the sisters more or less become unmarriageable because they're tarred with the same brush. Uh, If you actually look at what Jane Austen writes, um, when Elizabeth is talking to Mr Darcy, she says... Uh, be so kind to us to apologise to uh, for us to Miss Darcy. Say that urgent business calls us home immediately. That's her trying to cover it up for as long as possible. Conceal the unhappy truth as long as possible. I know it cannot be long. And so, in a way, what Darcy does, plot spoiler here, guys, um, by 
going to find Lydia and Wickham and organising their marriage is he is a bit like, I suppose, Google or one of those uh, or Facebook going around and taking down offensive posts or um, that kind of revenge um, posting that some people do. He is going trying to tidy up. Of course, he does a pretty good job, but even he cannot entirely um, clear away the scandal because when you get Lady Catherine de Burr coming along later, she swoops in and tells Lizzie more or less that everybody knows that the marriage is a patched up affair. So when you're thinking about social media and how people lose reputations so dramatically, it is not new. I think we're going to be coming back to that uh, that particular refrain quite a lot. But in a way, I find that comforting that people have had to deal with this before, that you do need to obviously be careful and tidy up. But people do live on after this. And in a way, I've always quite admired Lydia. I know she's a funny old soul, really, but I quite admire her fact that she makes the best of what uh, an indiscretion she did at 15, uh, which, you know, when we look at the current news today, you think we really do need to be a bit more understanding of the idiotic decisions we might take so young because we have the power at that stage to do make adult decisions when we are only thinking with the child's head. Uh, and that isn't that so often what happens in some of the worst of these social media cases? I suppose this is the point where I'll try to answer the question I pose, which is, what would Jane do when it comes to social media? Well, I think that the thing that you can see from her life is that while she was fully active, <laughs> if she was around today, she would definitely be present on social media, I'm sure, uh, at least to her own family group. But you also notice from accounts that the family have of her is that she also was very careful about her own privacy. I feel this really intensely as a writer, that there's a huge pressure, particularly from publishers who want you to be out there, whatever that means, um, to preserve some sense of that private space where my creativity comes from. Um, and that seems to be something like how Jane Austen went around. Uh, if you look at her later years in Chaunton, where she wrote most of her famous novels, um, there are accounts of her um, writing in a public room. I'll read you a little bit. It's This is her nephew's account of her life. And it says, She was careful that her occupation should not be suspected by servants or visitors or any person beyond her own family party. She wrote upon small sheets of paper which could easily be put away or covered with a piece of blotting paper. There was, between the front door and the offices, a swing door which creaked when it was opened. But she objected to having that little inconvenience remedied because it gave her notice when anyone was coming. I think what we have here is a picture of somebody who had quite a good balance. So she had her social life with her family and her jokes. She also, of course, had her, uh, towards the end of her life, more of a public role. Um, but she also preserved very much her private creativity. I think she also misrepresented it to others. I think she knew how to play the game, to how, how to represent herself in public. Uh, there's the sort of funny um, social pressure that she was then put under right towards the end of her life when the Prince Regent 
was a great fan of her novels and dropped a very heavy hint that he wanted to be ded- the next one to be dedicated to him. Jane did so, so she's out there in a social sense doing what she needs to do and ends up putting a dedication into His Royal Highness the Prince Regent. This work is, by His Royal Highness's permission, most respectfully dedicated by His Royal Highness's dutiful and obedient, humble servant, the author. I don't know about you, but I smell a rat there. I smell a very sardonic tone. But what I'm trying to point out here is that she could play the game of presenting herself to her public in a way which was both protecting her privacy in that she, I can think you can see her private thoughts are leeching through, but it's not so much so that she's destroying her reputation. She does what is necessary. So I think if she was using social media today, she would have a very clear idea of the separation between her private self, she'd listen out for that squeaky door of people wanting to interfere, and then her public persona. And looking around at today's role models. Actually, one of the people who I think does this really well in a Jane Austen way is someone like J.K. Rowling, who has enormous celebrity status. But how much do you know about her? She has clearly made a decision at some point that there is J.K. Rowling, the author, and then there is the private person. And well done her. I think that's a really good way to handle it. So what would Jane do? I think she would use social media for what it could bring her in terms of entertainment and gossip and a chance to show her wit. But she would also have a line where she has the squeaky door and the blotting paper ready to hide away her privacy. So if you're thinking about how you conduct yourself on social media, how I conduct myself on social media, thinking of Jane sitting in her uh, writing room at Chalton keeping that space for herself is a very good image to make you think twice before you post it all out there. I hope you've enjoyed this first episode in What Would Jane Do? If you have any ideas of future themes for me to tackle, then please do contact me at the catroyal.com website. Until next time, and don't forget, when in doubt, think, what would Jane do?